Mission 2, San Jose Avenue. From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome to Total SF Heather Night. Still riding high from our podcast recording on Angel Island, where my blood pressure dropped so much, I think I added three years to my life going to Angel Island with you. (laughs) That was the best day. Just when I need to recover from the muck of City Hall, I always look forward to our adventures, and this one was particularly fun, and I still can't believe we get paid for this. So we headed to Angel Island to meet John Martini, a historian and retired U.S. Park Ranger. But let's put retired in air quotes, because he's still out there all the time supporting national and state parks. Yeah, he's so smart and so dedicated. Um, He basically hasn't really retired much at all. Um, He volunteers as a docent, and he told us about um, his years of working as a ranger everywhere from Alcatraz to the Grand Canyon, and his career just sounds so awesome. So he's part ranger, part historian, and a great podcast guest. Yeah, he's funny and very tolerant. I'm pretty sure we tried to cancel Muir Woods on this podcast. (laughs) He's a good sport. He even agreed to watch all of our podcasting equipment as we biked around Angel Island. That was very nice of him. Yeah, we brought our bikes and he didn't. So there was almost this awkward point where it's like, um, can we go on a bike ride? And (laughs) in the podcasting equipment, I need to get like lighter podcasting equipment because three mics is like 30 pounds on my back. So he sat and watched that, and we just had this wonderful hour exploring the island. Yeah, we did the perimeter road, and um, listeners will hear um, John describing some of the best spots where you should um, stop on the road and take in the views and the wonders of the island. And so we interviewed him first and then took that into account as we were biking around. Yeah, and like our Crosstown Trail podcast, we highly recommend listening to this before going to Angel Island or or even while you're on the Perimeter Trail. Um, We learned about so much, and it was so great to talk to John and then go out and see all these things he's talking about. We also learned about the immigration station. He talked about the complicated story of the Chinese immigrants who were stopped there. That's really worth its own podcast. I think we'll follow up on that one, but um, just, just a wonderful guest. Yes, and I think we're planning a sequel because you, Peter, have still not been to Alcatraz, as I mentioned about 17 times in this episode. So I think we're going to venture out there with John sometime this summer. Yes, I am shamed multiple times in this episode. (laughs) Um, I just want to mention John's a frequent guest on the Western Neighborhoods Project podcast. It's a wonderful history podcast, and his tours and books are listed on johnamartini.com. Um, last thing about John, we do ask him about Vicky from So I Married an Axe Murderer. He, he was on Alcatraz and had basically the same job as the Phil Hartman classic character from that movie. Yes, I think he, he may have taken his job a bit more seriously than Vicky, but he is a Vicky fan, which is important if you're a Total SF podcast guest. Definitely. And speaking of movies, let's plug our next one. Heather, we're going to do a movie. We're going to do an event around people. I'm so excited for July 15th. 
Me too. If you have not gotten your tickets yet, you should go to the Balboa Theater website. We are showing San Andreas with The Rock on July 15th. There will be fun and shenanigans as always, so get your ticket before they sell out. So it's July 15th at the Balboa. Starts at 7 p.m., but um, adding a little wrinkle from the pandemic times, they had that wonderful booth out there and built a parklet. So we're doing a pre-party at the parklet uh, starts at 5 p.m. Adam and the the Balboa crew will be out there with uh, their beer and its its and awesome merchandise. I have like nine t-shirts from there. <laughs> uh, and Norton the its it will make an appearance. Our official mascot of Total SF. Who's going to be wearing Norton this time? I don't know. It it might be one of three people, but I'm making some, I'm about to take a little time off and I'm making some adjustments to Norton. So those three years that I got back on Angel Island, I don't lose it in that (laughs) costume because it's so hot and it hurts my back. Um, But Norton will be there um, and we're very excited about that. Yes. And also everybody should be reading The End of the Golden Gate. That is our next um, Total SF book club pick. You can also register for um, our event with Gary Kamiya and Daniel Handler, a.k.a. Lemony Snicket, on August 24th by visiting the San Francisco Public Library's events page. We're doing so much cool stuff this summer. It feels like we're we're like 99% back to normal. I love it. Yeah, we'll make it an even 100% get to Angel Island live podcast on Angel Island coming up. I'm Peter Hartlob here with Heather Knight, and this is Total SF. Thank you very much. Hello and welcome to Angel Island. John Martini, um, beautiful backdrop in back of you right now. I know this is an audio medium, but I don't even know how to explain it. Um, well, we're sitting here in Ayala Cove with like a manufactured background of a little <laughs> lagoon with boats floating in it and the green hills of the Tiburon in the background. And it's quiet and it's it's just the way it's supposed to be (laughs) it's quiet but it's also we had a lot of kids um on this boat it seemed like now we're this people are going to listen to this a few days after the the big reopening but we're the day after the big reopening and that boat felt like an angel island boat from like 2018 it was it was jammed the bottom was full of bicycles kids with bag lunches running around uh, children crying. <laughs> it also had the feeling of sort of like a, a landing craft on, on Normandy. Everybody was, was crowded aboard with anticipation, except good anticipation. Yeah. And uh, no masks. That was no nice. masks, yeah. The crew were masked. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. Nobody else. Uh, yeah, it it felt like we've, we've come through it uh, and we're on the other side now. Yeah, definitely. Feels good. So um, where did you grow up in San Francisco, and what started your interest in national parks? Oh, um, my family's from the city for a couple of generations, and um, when I was about two, um, we first lived out in the Richmond District, in a little flat out near, near the Presidio, and uh, Dad had the opportunity to buy a brand new house in a place called Westlake, those look-alike little Dolger-built houses, <laughs> yes, and so uh, when I, before I was two, we moved to Westlake, so I spent most of my life in Westlake. But my grandparents uh, were in the city. We were in the city, you know, every couple of days. I went to high school in the city. So um, 
I consider myself to be still pretty much a San Franciscan, mm-hmm. even though now I live in Marin. And um, what sparked your interest in national parks? It, it wasn't really an interest in national parks directly. It was an interest in history. And it just so happened that the National Park Service has taken over many of my favorite historic sites in San Francisco. Uh, when I was uh, a little kid, I'm an only child, my mom would take me out for outings just to get me out of the house before I was old enough to go to school. And we did things that she did uh, just as part of growing up in the city. We'd take the streetcar downtown. We'd get on the ferry to ride over to Oakland and back because it was it was cheap. They were still running. You know, these things impress very deeply, the smells, the sounds. Rode cable car lines that later, uh, you know, were cut back. Um, went to Playland at the Beach. Went to Sutro's, the zoo. What era was your Playland at the Beach area? Were you there, like, when it was still... You missed the roller coaster, I'm sure, I can tell. It, yeah, it was torn down before um, Mom was willing to take me on rides. Uh, I think that came down in 58. Yeah. Um, when I, we were going there, six, seven, eight, nine. And I was on the little, like little boats on a pond that go around in a circle, and you ding the bell. That that was my era. Um, Playland had a golden era in the 1950s, and then it had a downhill slide in the 60s, and uh, I experienced both of them deeply. And this is a gorgeous day on Angel Island. Do you remember the first time you came here? Did your parents take you here when you were a kid? No, um, it didn't open to the public until the mid 1960s. Oh. It was uh, the army was actually out here until like 1963, they had a, a missile site on this island, and it was technically closed to visitors. Uh, in the, like, 64, 65, they started running ferry boats from San Francisco to this brand-new state park on Angel Island. And uh, just my buddy and I heard that it was open, and we went down. And, uh, there was a little water taxi. It only held about 20 people. And uh, we got here, and it was a typical foggy, overcast Marin day, and we set out to walk around the island. And we got about two-thirds of the way, and we hit a big roadblock that said, you know, area closed. Uh, so we turned around and came back. But my impression of it was is there was nobody here. Mm-hmm. And the impression also was empty buildings surrounded by overgrown eucalyptus, uh, broken windows, uh, the ghost town. But that sounds feeling. fun. It was. It was great. You know, yeah. we spent our time trying to get into buildings illegally, you know, <laughs> making sure that the state park rangers didn't see us. Those places that um, my, my parents uh, uh, took me when I was a kid, they also included in the Presidio a place called Fort Point, mm-hmm. National Historic Site. Surf spot. <laughs> and it, it opened in 1970. Um, I was at that point, I dropped out of college trying to figure out, you know, what I was going to do with my life. And they needed uh, volunteers at Fort Point to give tours. And I said, I'm kind of interested in this stuff. Put my hand up and they signed me up as a volunteer. And I parlayed that. uh, It's a National Park Service site into a 25-year career with the Park Service. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I retired, I came back as a volunteer again. So I'm, I'm, yeah, uh, you don't get it out of your blood. One thing that uh, you mentioned, we're on a state park. Yes. Um, that's one thing that I don't understand, and I think a lot of people in the Bay Area don't understand, the state parks versus the national parks. Mm-hmm. Alcatraz is a national park. National but park. But we're on a state park. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to try to put it as simply as I can, it's who creates them. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're created by uh, Congress, the United States Congress, mm-hmm. then it's usually a, a National Park Service site. If it's created by the states, that's the state park site. And quite honestly, a lot of these places could be either. Mm 
-hmm. It doesn't make any difference how historic or, or significant or intact they are. It's which agency sets them up. And uh, during the time when I've been working for Golden Gate National Recreation Area, a lot of areas that were state park prior to the creation of uh, what's called GGNRA, it's mm -hmm. its short name, places like uh, Stinson Beach and the old ships at Hyde Street Pier and China Beach in San Francisco, those were all state parks. And when GGNRA was created, the feds in the state said, look, rather than have all this adjacent land, some of which you run, some of which we run, let's just transfer it to the feds. And the state said, goody. You know, <laughs> One less thing to deal with. And so did the city of San Francisco, you know, have Land's End, have Aquatic Park. Now, now I've been digging around the archive. I consider myself a scavenger. <laughs> I consider you to be a historian. So this is my question to you. Digging around the archive, I'm feeling better and better about Richard Nixon. <laughs> what? When, when it comes to um, these national parks and environmental type things, am I taking it too far? Or That's going to be pulled out by some other podcaster, <laughs> just that I'm feeling better and better about Richard Nixon. Do I need to thank Richard Nixon for all of this beauty around me in the Bay Area, or am I taking that too far? Just a hair too far. He, <laughs> he was a huge supporter of these things. Uh, it was uh, called Parks to the People. Yeah. And uh, the classic national park ideas like a Yellowstone or Yosemite, and those are remote to get to them. I mean, it, it's, you know, you got to take the train or you got to pack up the family in the car and drive a bazillion miles. And the idea was there's wonderful resources that are close to urban areas. How about setting those out so people who can't travel so much can enjoy areas that are protected by the Park Service. So Golden Gate NRA in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. There's a sister park in New York called Gateway National Recreation Area. And there's... There's one down um, called John Lafitte mm -hmm. outside New Orleans. So, yeah, these were uh, Nixon-era ideas. You know who really gets credit, though, is uh, Phil Burton, who was our uh, congressman yeah, at that time. Yeah. He, uh, I, I met him a couple of times. We weren't exactly buds, but um, I, I knew that this was an extremely powerful old-school politician. And uh, somebody described he couldn't walk, uh, you know, 20 feet from the limousine without having to stop and, you know, catch his breath. Really? But he, yeah, he loved parks. Huh. He loved creating open space. He loved manipulating and working across the aisle and building coalitions to protect it. And a lot of what you see around GGNRA today, they were lands that were uh, slated for development. Uh, parts of the Marin Headlands were going to be a giant place called Marincello with 25,000 people living in condos on the hills. Uh, the area, um, uh, Fort Miley, adjacent to the VA hospital, was going to be a giant expansion uh, that was uh, pushed back. Um, the Marin Headlands, Forts Baker and Barry and Cronkite, those open hills you see when you look across the Golden Gate. The feds were looking at getting rid of those as excess, and the developers were chomping at uh, Oh, that would have been awful. It's oh, just yes. like condos yeah. on there. So it's good then Philip Burton has a school named after him in San Francisco and Richard Nixon doesn't. They got it right. <laughs> That's appropriate. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We'll see how long it lasts. You know, the school board is messing with the names. Yeah, and, and just as an update, if anybody's listening, if you hear cheering, I don't think the mics are picking it up, but the kids are doing some kind of um, 
I don't know, tug of war or something over there. It's fantastic. I'm it's, pretending like the applause is for our podcast. That's what I can pretend to. Also, if you hear us like moving away from the mic like this, it's because there's a couple of, are those hornets or? Yellow jackets. Yellow jackets. Thank you. Um, I don't need a EpiPen or anything like that. <laughs> but if anybody needs any, anybody gets stung, we'll deal with it. Yeah. Also, listeners cannot pick up the smell of bird poop. Is that bird poop I or is so. that? Or sea poop? Sea it's seafood. It's seafood. seafood. It's a, well, we're, hey, well, welcome to the parks. Yeah. We're, we're right next to the dumpsters. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're learning a he, lot here. He just sort of blanked that out after 25 years. Yeah, like, so historian, park ranger, um, did those things kind of come together? And, you know, at what point along the way do you start? really getting interested in the history of it, or did that happen from the beginning? The big one was when they hired me to work on Alcatraz when we first opened it to the public in 1973. It had been closed uh, since 63. There'd been the Native American occupation. The island was just open to the public as an experiment to see if people even wanted to see it. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> there was a very big wait when Heather tried to get on Alcatraz. I think it was at least six weeks. We, we were told when we opened it that uh, it was only a five-year experiment after which they'd uh, probably redevelop the island, possibly by tearing down all the buildings. Oh, my gosh. But anything was open. They just they wanted to get public feedback, and boy, did they. Yeah. Boy, yeah. howdy. It's the number one paid attraction in San Francisco. That Peter still has not visited yeah, well, in his entire life. <laughs> we're we're going to work on that. We'll work on that. Yeah. Uh, working out there, it was unexplored territory. Um, all we knew about Alcatraz was what was in a couple of published books. The official records were not open mm-hmm. to the public. The Bureau of Prisons didn't even want the island opened, so they sure weren't going to be showing us all the you know, inside information. So we talked to a couple of former convicts and read a couple of books, and I wanted to know more. It's what I especially want to know more of is that uh, when you start exploring around Alcatraz, you realize there's layers to it. There's physical layers, and that underneath the big prison building, there's a whole labyrinth of... Uh, rooms that, that were generically called by the staff and by the uh, prisoners the Spanish dungeons. Oh. Not Spanish, um, American, Yankee built uh, during the gold rush. The island was, uh, the whole island was fortified like the Rock of Gibraltar. And no one knew anything about that. Hmm. So I started literally crawling around with a flashlight underground. Wow. Going to archives and then eventually working with some professional historians who introduced me to the National Archives in Washington, D.C. And we started to pull together the story of the, the, the forgotten Alcatraz that was a fort, that was a, a military prison. It was a dreaded military prison called The Rock uh, 50 years before Al Capone got there. And because of its notoriety as a penitentiary, that part was nearly forgotten. Huh. So the, the primary research is what you call it. Mm-hmm. Rather than reading a book somebody else wrote, it's like, you know, here's the original letters in the National Archives written in the 1860s and uh, go into the horse's mouth. Wow. Right? And You're making me think, like, describing these underground labyrinths, that the movie The Rock is actually more accurate than I thought it was. Because I thought they made all that up, you know, the the underground labyrinth. And it, they probably did. But. It was it was influenced by what they saw. <laughs> there, there was one, there's one tunnel that goes clear through the island. And when they were doing the preliminary uh, research on the island to see about shooting out there, they 
considered shooting, and they want to say, show, show us these caverns and tunnels we've heard so much about. And we took them to the biggest one on the island, at this, and the set director essentially said, that all you got? <laughs> so they, they built their own. Oh, right. Yeah. Have you seen that the pandemic has changed the way people look at national parks? Do they have more of an interest in... They're desperate to get out. Yeah. The parks are, they're, they're more crowded than I've ever seen them. Hmm. Uh, the traffic backing up to get out of the headlands through the famous one-way five-minute tunnel, mm-hmm. it can sometimes take an hour or two hours to wow. get to the tunnel. Uh, people, it, it's our breathing space. It's our mm-hmm. lungs. Mm-hmm. And it's a place where you can go outside. And even at the height of the pandemic with masks up, people felt comfortable not um, flaunting it surreptitiously taking their mask mm-hmm. off on a backcountry trail and, and breathing yeah. freely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's hurt them is the fact that we had to close so many visitor facilities. Yeah. Uh, visitor centers, Alcatraz, we just saw it. Mm-hmm. It was closed for months. Is it open again? It's open again. Oh, great. Yeah. It was closed because of the close proximity. When you're inside the prison building, uh, people are cheek by jowl going through. Mm-hmm. You couldn't have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the boats. It, you couldn't have the capacity on it. And when it did reopen, it was a, only a fraction. I believe it was a 25% capacity, so mm-hmm. we could maintain spacing. Some areas in the park still haven't reopened. You know, we got our fingers crossed. Places like the Point Bonita Lighthouse and uh, Battery Townsley, we're hoping to get those reopened again. But again, uh, spacing and waiting for guidance. Mm. We'll be right back after this short break. So where does where does Angel Island fit in, in in like your head in the parks around here? I mean, it seems like everybody talks about Alcatraz except me. And, um, you know, you've got Marin Headlands. You've got all these places to discover. I feel like it's an underrated gem, but I'm wondering from your point of view, where do you fit Angel Island in terms of all the places that people can discover here and, and, and how it fits into the other parks? It's an underrated gem. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, Peter. You weren't right about Richard Nixon. Yes. You were right about this. I was wrong about Nixon. It is. It's uh, maybe because access is uh, is limited to the ferry from Tiburon mm-hmm. or the uh, much reduced ferry schedule from San Francisco, but it just, it doesn't get the people that uh, that it really should have, and that's a terrible thing to say because you could you can overlove a park. Like like Mere Woods, where so many people want to mm-hmm. go see it, but this one here, it's it, it's over a square mile. It's got hiking trails and campgrounds and old buildings and and the historic immigration station. This could easily uh, attract and handle much larger crowds, and you can learn so much here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's it has been called seriously the jewel of uh, of San Francisco Bay, and uh, the state park has put a lot of money into maintaining. Uh, and restoring certain ports of the park where others are in essentially uh, arrested decay. Mm. So uh, I like to point it out as uh, sort of an example of different ways of preserving history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like not everything can be um, the, the Presidio of San Francisco with all the you know nice uh, buildings with people living in them. This island doesn't have the infrastructure to support a giant uh, population. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, in fact, they've tried to make access to the island easier. They actually built on the one side of the island uh, landing docks and picnic areas and bathroom facilities, uh, and hoping to attract 
passenger vessels coming from the East Bay. It, it just never took off. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's one of the areas I do it when I hike around here is I stop over there and I call it the, you know, what if you gave a park and nobody came? Because <laughs> there's fields of picnic tables just overgrown with weeds yeah. and there's a visitor center. Um, it, it's it's closed up and uh, it's it's just waiting. I, I, I love it here. And I came here in 19, probably 77 or 78 for the first time. And it hasn't changed. Yes. I mean, I brought my son here. I came here with my dad in the last couple of years. It, it Nothing has changed from my point of view. The other thing I love, and we didn't get this experience coming from Tiburon, but I love leaving the ferry building, going by Alcatraz and going, oh, my God, I should have worn, like, two more layers. <laughs> and then the microclimate between Alcatraz and Angel Island, which aren't that far apart, like, it's often, like, 10 or 15 degrees warmer here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you know the history of of the island and all, this is where the first um, uh, Europeans who came into San Francisco Bay, where they anchored while they explored. Uh, this is where Juan Manuel de Ayala yeah. uh, dropped anchor here. Uh, why? Because of just what you described. It's sheltered. It's got the great climate. Wood on the island. Uh, they cut wood for uh, for trees. In fact, San Francisco pretty much denuded Angel Island during the gold rush because of their need for uh, wood for timber and for uh, fires. Um, and it's just, if anything has happened since you, you your first visit you were a kid, is the vegetation has probably gotten lusher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You remember, remember when there was a fire about, uh, I think it was about 10 years ago, it broke out on top of the island and they had to... Uh, they have a big, what's called a landing craft, mechanized. Mm-hmm. Trucks can come on. They had to bring uh, fire trucks from the mainland. Oh, wow. And luckily, the uh, natural ro- natural roads, the roads that exist on the island served as uh, natural fire breaks. Uh-huh. So I don't think they lost any structures, but that was scary. Wow. Because it was at night, and you could see the flames from all over. Oh, my gosh. To kind of, just kind of set the scene, I guess I don't want to go do a deep dive into history because, you know, uh, Doctor history here can really be boring, but <laughs> the the island was um, it was nice and it was isolated and it was hard to get off of. And in 1910, the Immigration Naturalization Service set up an immigration station here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was in the days when, uh, especially Asians coming in, it was virtually impossible to get into the United States because of laws that had been passed mm-hmm. if you were Asian. And uh, the immigration station functioned for 30 years, and it was basically a place where they um, processed people through to make sure they were legitimately coming into the United States. Uh, there was a big business in faking papers to get in. Mm-hmm. So you might be held here for a couple of months or in some case over a year while they did a background check on you. Mm. And uh, after the immigration station closed in 40, World War II broke out and the facilities were still here and it, they turned it into a POW camp. Mm. There were Germans, there were Italians. Um, there were a lot of people who were brought through briefly who were actually U.S. citizens from Hawaii who were uh, uh, locked up following the attack on Pearl Harbor um, and brought to the United States. This was just the whole paranoia. You know, if you look like you're Japanese, you're, you're obviously a threat. So we were putting people from the West Coast into concentration camps, and they were sending people from Hawaii to Angel Island to be wow. held. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I remember coming here on a field trip when I was a kid and seeing the poems that were carved into the yes. walls by Chinese people yeah. while they were held here. Yeah, uh, that building was going to be torn down. And then an uh, early uh, state park employee out here 
going through the building noticed that there was, you know, underneath umpteen layers of paint, there were these carvings. They started doing some careful sanding and exploration, and they realized that I think there's over 200 poems carved in the walls in that the old mm-hmm. uh, detention barracks. Yeah. And a lot of them uh, are very poetic. Like, why did I leave my home and cross the sea to be stuck on this, this island uh, so close to San Francisco but so far away? Mm. Like, paraphrasing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and sometimes it was just like, you know, I hate you. Mm. you know? and, it, and probably obscenities. Uh, it's These people were locked up here. Uh, it, they weren't criminals. They were going through a process that was going to determine if we are going to make it into America. And they were venting their frustration on, on the fabric. Mm-hmm. And v- recently, millions of dollars have been put into uh, rehabilitating that building and others in the old immigration station, mm-hmm. hugely supported by uh, uh, the Chinese-American community, many of whom can uh, trace their ancestors to folks that came through those buildings. Wow. wow. Yeah. Well, we want to well, give people a, an audio tour of Angel Island. Yeah, I feel like I feel like we want to. We have a mission now. Nah. Let's get people, get people here. Get people away from Muir Woods. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go there. Just trees. You've seen them. <laughs> Come to Angel Peter. Island. Uh, I'm sorry, you're a ranger. I'm not supposed to talk like that, but uh, I take it back. But I do. We want to get people here. So let's think like maybe Perimeter Road. Um, you sent me these wonderful photos for my views project, and I almost would love to hear about some of those. But what are like four to six stops if you're going around the perimeter road that are going to, you know, the wonders of Angel Island, things that are going to make people want to come here. Okay. If you were to start here at Ayala Cove. Ooh, ooh yeah. Let's go. Let's start here and let's go uh, counterclockwise. Counterclockwise. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You'd, uh, you'd go uphill about a quarter mile and you hit the perimeter road mm-hmm. and you start following that. And first part, you're just sort of looking over raccoon straits towards Tiburon but you come around the corner and all of a sudden there's this village that's spread out below you of these sort of uh, gable end vaguely Victorian looking buildings and it's that's old Camp Reynolds it was built during the uh, Civil War mm-hmm. um, one of my favorite pictures I, I took from there looking down the, this big vast sloping green hill that was called the parade ground mm-hmm. and all the officers quarters now all boarded up on one side and a giant brick warehouse at the bottom and beyond that the bay and then Sausalito and especially when the fog comes in in the afternoon and it pours over Wolfback Ridge above Sausalito oh, nice. that's one of my one of my magic views um, if you continue on around the perimeter road uh-huh. uh, not far beyond uh, the uh, Camp Reynolds, there's an overlook above uh, Battery uh, uh, Ledyard, which is one of the ubiquitous concrete bunkers, you know, dating from the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. And there, it, it was positioned, so it's aimed right at the Golden Gate. So you have this view looking down on this Kapakahi mm-hmm. uh, little bunker, Golden Gate. In the distance, sailboats in the foreground, and just the whole panorama of the bay played out in front of you. Nice. Yeah. Uh, continuing on, on along, there's uh, come to a place. you got to use the, the military names of these places. Uh-huh. This place called uh, Battery Wallace. And there the view is straight uh, south across towards San Francisco skyline. And you've got Alcatraz in the middle foreground. 
and there's really nothing around you. There's no buildings. Yeah, one bunker. But otherwise, it's, it's the undeveloped part of the island. Um, and what was that bunker for? Big cannon. Big cannon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, not the missiles. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. The, you, as if you were continue around, you'll pass what was the missile site, and there's r- really nothing to see. These were those uh, Cold War missiles in the 1950s. Uh, you see them in old science fiction movies. Mm-hmm. They were in underground. They called them uh, missile magazines, and they'd come to the surface on an elevator, and they looked like big white-painted darts just you know, aimed up into the sky, meant to take out you know Soviet aircraft should they ever attack. Never happened, but there was a, uh, a battery here, uh, to protect the inner harbor if the Soviets ever came. I, th- I think it was very short-lived, only like 1955 to 63. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, world tensions changed and technology changed and Angel Island's becoming, you know, more and more obsolete. Uh, right um, past that is Point Blunt. Point Blunt is the southernmost uh, part of Angel Island. I guess got the name because it's blunt. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Instead of being named after Saint Somebody, it's you know just point blunt. <laughs> there had been cannons there uh, that intersected with with Alcatraz, and there's a long beach passing that. The other side of the island, it, it takes on a whole different ambiance. You get over to it's called uh, Fort McDowell. Mm-hmm. Looks like the Presidio abandoned. Giant brick and concrete buildings. Uh, all the windows are broken out. Up through the end of World War II, it's where a lot of troops that were going out to the uh, Pacific Theater of War, they would temporarily be quartered there, and then they'd be put on troop transports and go off to war. And then when World War II ended, they, the troops came back. The, the uh, process was just reversed. This time was get them home. And there was uh, quarters for probably a couple of thousand guys. All shut down. Uh, giant empty mess hall and recreation buildings, barracks buildings, officers' quarters, some occupied by rangers. I, I've seen this. It's it's fascinating. I mean, there's a movie theater there, and and uh, and some of it in that area, maybe it's different than what you're talking about, is open. You can walk around and, and be, we could we could record a podcast in a in a abandoned something over there. Yeah, the, the, the big old hospital building, which would have done justice to a small town. Yeah. Yeah, they, uh, the ground floor is totally open. You can wander around in there. They knocked out the staircases so you can't get upstairs. But it gives you the opportunity to actually get in and explore some, some of these uh, empty buildings. Yeah. And the, the last special area is when you get to what was called Winslow Cove or sometimes China Cove. That's where the immigration station was located. And that's where they... Uh, they allow you in. I believe, I believe it's on weekends. You can check the website for hours because everything's in flux now, mm-hmm. now, now that we're reopening. Uh, docents take you through. They show you the barracks. They show you the living quarters for men and for women. They show you the interrogation rooms. And especially for uh, Asian Americans whose mm-hmm. families came through, it's, it, it's called the Ellis Island of the West. Mm-hmm. The main difference is that Ellis Island the idea was you got these Europeans coming through. How quick can we get them mm. through? Treated very differently. Very differently. And about the only reason they held you over at Ellis Island was if they thought you had, uh, 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 you were sick. Because yeah, it was a quarantine station. Here it was just the opposite. We're going to keep you here to make sure we, we want we want to let you in. 
Mm. Uh, make sure you you uh, you aren't faking it, buddy. Yeah. And then, wow. So yeah. that's that's the last step here. And you said open weekends and people can kind of explore and learn, especially if they have a personal connection. I'm sure. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, I was able to take a, a family friend through whose uh, grandmother had come through, yeah. and they when they found that out, they gave it a lot of special attention, and you she would just it's emotional. To watch yeah. someone rediscover their roots in mm. front of you. Sure. Wow. Do you have any other uh, spots? Is that your... Did we complete the tour? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> okay. And get, now get we're to back the ferry, at the cove. Back to the ferry dock. Yeah. yeah. yeah very yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, you've made it to the ferry dock, which means, Heather, that's the... Yes. Um, thank you for giving us this audio tour, and now it's time for a quick lightning round. Mm-hmm. Where's your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? I can't eat burritos. Why? Oh, I'm a oh. oh sorry. Well, What's that's your you unfeeling cad. <laughs> <laughs> He's looking at Peter as he says that. <laughs> What's your favorite thing to eat in San Francisco? My favorite thing to eat in San Francisco, a uh, uh, Caesar salad at uh, North in North Beach. Okay. Just about any restaurant. What is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Uh, it would be. Um, the lineup, made uh-huh. in 1957, and it was made by one of my uh, uh, favorite directors, Don Siegel, and it has the prototype of every car chasing you've ever seen. It was made over the unfinished Embarcadero Freeway. Yes, and it's it has it has homoerotic overtones, and it has somebody in a wheelchair being pushed off a balcony, wow. and oh, uh, uh, a child abduction. It's incredibly bleak for 1957 it's very bleak and and it, mm-hmm. it's a very good location film like just mm-hmm. for the locations mm-hmm. it's fantastic that car chase kind of does the bullet thing where it starts over i think mm-hmm. land's end and then ends up on the embarcadero freeway and then just don't ask too many questions <laughs> you know yeah. right okay where's your favorite place in the city to get a stiff drink a stiff drink used to be the buena vista and I hope it's oh, yes. going to be again. Irish coffee? Yes. Cool. Well, that's not a stiff drink. That's a mixed drink. <laughs> that's that's stiffish. Stiffish. Something yeah. stiff in there. Yeah. Uh, what was your first concert? Oh, um, uh, it was a fundraiser put on by my high school to raise money to build the new high school. Uh, it was uh, somehow they got Buffalo Springfield and Jefferson Airplane. Oh, wow. In the USF gym. <laughs> that's in the cool. USF gym? In the wow, USF gym. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Jesuits had no idea what they were getting into <laughs> having those two groups. What was the last book you read? Last book I read, um, Gary Tamaya's uh, book, uh, Cool Gray City. Kamiya, yeah. Kamiya, I'm sorry, Gary. Neither, you don't pronounce I, that I name I pronounce either. it exactly the way you did. <laughs> oh, okay. Thankfully, I don't think I've done it around him yet. But, uh, I, I recommend that book for anybody wonderful. that wants to get into San Francisco yeah. history. He's yeah. such a great writer. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen the movie So I Married an Axe Murder? Yes. And what is your opinion of Vicky, the the um, ranger on Alcatraz? I yeah. aspire to be, <laughs> <laughs> to be Vicky. So you're a fan? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My name is John Johnson, but everyone here calls me Vicky. Will you please follow me? I love Vicky. He's, he's great. He's the best. Oh. This is the main cell block area. Um, your bio lists a pet as a grumpy African pygmy goat, but I understand that grumpy African pygmy, pygmy goat is no longer with us. He's, he's no longer with us. He was, um, he was the last. We had uh, various 
pygmy goats over the years, and he was the last, and uh, he was getting old and in the way we were thinking of moving, and we found a uh, home for old farm animals. Aww. Yeah, uh, up in uh, uh, Sonoma County. And uh, he went up there. His name was Vito. All of our all of our goats had Italian names. <laughs> this was Vito after Vito Corleone. <laughs> anyway, Vito ended up. He spent his last year. He was in a petting zoo, and he got to be the the uh, the big goat in the Christmas uh, crush scene wow. uh, the nativity scene. And uh, he was he was a rock star for his <laughs> last year. Aww. Yeah, nice, good to hear. And I know you're working on a book about Alcatraz. Mm-hmm. Can you share one or two little known facts or something that listeners would be really interested to know but may have not learned yet about Alcatraz? <sighs> little known facts are there. There are so many that uh, I think that when the uh, Indian occupation uh, took place at Alcatraz, which was in November of 1969. It was fueled by um, frustrations that Native Americans who had moved off the reservations had when they got into urban areas. It really wasn't the way it was going to be ballyhooed to them. You know, mm. The jobs weren't there. The education wasn't there. They wanted to do something to get attention. And they really did it as street theater. And it was, uh, uh, we think of it now. And it's true. It was a huge milestone in Native American rights. People suddenly realized that Native Americans are here, the American Indian Movement. But at the time, it was all they wanted was they wanted the feds to build them a new recreation center in the mission. Oh, wow. and I didn't know that. And it, it just took on a life of its own. Interesting. It, uh, Indians from all over the country came, and they called themselves the Indians of all tribes. Hmm. Here's the uh, long way around. Here's the tidbit. At one point, the, the feds wanted the Indians off Alcatraz, and they said, look, we have some property in San Francisco that uh, you leave Alcatraz and this, and we'll let you have Fort Mason. And the, uh, it was like, and, the, and half of the uh, tribe's people said, we won. <laughs> we no, got them. I want Fort Mason. Yes. Specifically, it was the piers where they have mm-hmm. the, uh, yeah. the, the drive-in sure, and all yeah, the warehouses. Yeah. And the other half, they were young idealists going, no, this shall become Thunderbird University, and we will stay here till the sun. And they're going, no, take more places. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow, that would have been interesting. That would have been very interesting. Huh. Anyway, yeah. That is a great tidbit. Um, so we've, I think we've agreed that we're going to go to Alcatraz sometime soon for a sequel. Because Peter still has not been there. Yeah, say it twice during the podcast. <laughs> How about three times? Right, Peter still has not been there. But last question of the lightning round mm-hmm. and of this podcast. What is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? Oh. Two things. Tell Betsy I love her Aww. and take the dog for two walks. Aw, love it. Well, thank you so much. It was so fun to be here with you and talk about Angel Island. Well, thank you for inviting me, and thank the Chronicle for buying me a ticket. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime. You're you're welcome. Thanks, You are worth more than a ferry ticket. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to our guest, John Martini. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community and Cable Car Bell Ringing by eight-time champion Byron Cobb. If you're listening this far, you probably enjoy the podcast. If you're on Apple Podcasts, take that five seconds and give us a five-star rating if you can. 
and support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it and get a digital Chronicle edition at sfchronicle.com slash pod.